Hey everyone, welcome to Asian Tech Leaders, the podcast where we interview some of the most interesting and inspiring Asian CEOs, entrepreneurs, and thinkers. I'm your host, Justin Pang, and I'm on a mission to share the stories of Asian tech leaders to help guide your personal and professional life. Thanks so much for joining me, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Ivan Zhang is a co-founder and CTO of Cohere, a leading Gen AI startup that provides natural language processing models to help developers and companies build new products and unlock business value with language AI. Cohere's models power interactive chat features, generates text for product descriptions, blog posts, and articles, and captures the meaning of text for search, content moderation, and intent recognition. Prior to co-founding Cohere in 2019, Ivan founded 4.ai, an independent AI research group. He also worked in biotech and the ML ops space as a software engineer. In this episode, you will learn how Ivan first fell in love with computer science in high school, how Ivan made the mental calculation to drop out of university, where Ivan thinks we are in the gen AI hype cycle, and you'll also hear about Ivan's favorite Chinese restaurants in Toronto. Hope you enjoy this episode and let's get started. Hey, Ivan, how you doing? Hey, I'm good. Uh, yeah, I'm in the Toronto office. <laughs> good, good. No, thanks for joining. I know a busy week in tech in Toronto, right? With collision in town. Um, and I think you were speaking yesterday, is that right? On a yeah, I gave a talk about, uh, you know, enterprise LLMs, uh, which is what everybody really interested in um but it was, a, it was a good time yeah collision is actually really impressive uh yeah. it's, like, it's the first time actually going to the exhibition um but yeah like really cool to see different companies in like the durham region or the york region uh i, like, I, didn't, I didn't even know there were like startups there but yeah oh yeah any any specific startups or kind of products that you're like wow i didn't even know somebody's working on this and uh you were able to get that exposure at collision yeah, I mean, I met a founder like doing uh, doing work in sort of like the risk tech uh, space. Mm-hmm. So selling to banks, all this like compliance software, yeah. um, which is like really cool. It's, it's this sort of like, you know, low key problem that's like super important and, and you know, big opportunity uh, that you never hear about. But, you know, yeah. we're working on it in Toronto. <laughs> right. And any any big trends that are coming out of collision? I mean, how many times do you think AI or Gen AI and LLM square. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think you know, obviously, the obvious one is Gen AI. Like, I think yeah. like everyone's talking about it. Um, yeah. I mean, I, for me, as someone who's been in the space for like the past four years, I sort of like filter it out because it, yeah. it's sort of the same sort of uh, underlying technology. It's just more people are paying attention. Yeah, uh, it's really good, honestly. Like, I, th- I think um, the, the education gap has closed a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it seems like everybody wants AI, uh, and maybe they don't—they're not sure, you know, what it is yet, but they know that they want it. Um, right. Yeah. And I guess from your purview, right? You said you've been working on on this with um, Mick Aiden and team for several years, and we've had this like seminal moment, right? Last fall when ChatGPT mm-hmm. kind of came to the consciousness, and now there's a lot of buzz and hype. But where do you feel like we're in the hype cycle, and how do you? You and your team try to filter out some of that that noise and stay focused on the problem and products you build. Yeah, so I, I think we're definitely past like the awareness phase. So mm-hmm. 
you know, this time last year, a lot of sales conversations are um, sort of trying to convince people that this is useful, um, yeah. that they should even give this a try. Uh, whereas now it's just, you know, a barrage of inbounds, uh, you know, C-suite folks who are getting pressured by their board to, you know, yeah. have like an AI strategy or something like that. Um, and so we're definitely past the awareness phase and people know they want it and they need it. And, mm -hmm. and especially after trying something like, you know, kudos open AI, like ChatGPT, um, you know, that interface innovation of like exposing this tech through a conversational interface, uh, making that super accessible to anyone and, and you know, their, their grandparents and, you know, anyone who can write language can, can feel this technology. Yeah. Um, you know, that's made awareness like solved. Like everyone knows right. this is important. Uh, so we're just in the like execution and, uh, you know, meeting, meeting with the base. Yeah. Yeah. The, the supply is like far. It's there, right? Uh, the, sorry, the demand is outpacing the supply. Yeah. Right, right. Which is a good place to have to be, uh, I'm assuming. And now it's about, you know, prioritization and then also ensuring that you, as a company, the products can scale, right? So, um, like you said, just the next phase and that you guys just close a big uh, Series C. So, congrats on that. Yeah, thanks. Um, but, quite honestly the job's not done right like yeah. it's, we we don't see it as you know like a victory or a success or anything it's it's honestly just more resources to execute right yeah uh, the team is super focused like working super hard um if you walk by our offices actually uh you know in the evening the lights are usually on because there's <laughs> they're still still grinding away after dinner um but yeah. every everyone's sort of like really energized and they they know this is like an important moment in this uh, mm -hmm. part of the technology's evolution. Yeah, uh, everyone's just super, super psyched to to be. That's you know, great. Yeah, I mean, from the public interactions I've seen uh, on Twitter, it seems like you guys are having a lot of fun. Is that right? Like, obviously, grinding and working hard, but yeah, um, yeah. So I mean, that, that's part of our yeah, part of our values is actually just yeah, yeah. you know work hard, play hard. I know it's like a cliche, yeah. type of, and and we don't we don't play hard like what they show on, you know, traditional tech <laughs> media, yeah. right? Like these crazy parties or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, we, we do welcome people to bring their, their themselves to work, right? And right. We, we do that to, you know, set an example. Like, we, you know, we, we don't want to ever be too corporate or uh, lose that sort of genuine voice that we all have. Right. Um, you know, Aiden and I both grew up in sort of this, like, internet era with, you know, memes and, you know, uh, very, very like internet culture. And I, I think now it's like slightly different, right? It's all on TikTok kind of. Yeah. Um, I think like this generation of kids will have a different sort of voice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we grew up in like the, the, browsing yeah, yeah. the web <laughs> entertainment era. Um, yeah. that, you know, there's influences there on how we communicate. Uh, right. Social, uh, like have, maybe you could be a chief meme officer, right? In addition to um, and I think, you know, on the topic of bringing yourself to work, this is really uh, why I'm excited to talk about your origin story, right? Um, I don't think a lot of it has been documented publicly. A lot of the origin story for Cohere has, I think, been well publicized, but I want to spend a little bit of time talking about Ivan, right? Can you share a little bit more about where you're born and kind of the early memories you have from your childhood? Yeah, yeah. Um... So I was born in the 90s uh, in Shenzhen, China. So like literally like the city hospital. Um, and my mom was actually a nurse there. 
Um, so it was, it was, it was pretty interesting to like, you know, give birth in your place of work, but, um, yeah, I mean, Shenzhen was super cool. Uh, my parents, uh, you know, very, you know, just hardworking, you know, my mom was a nurse, my dad was an engineer. Um, but at the time they didn't really like, obviously it's different now in hindsight, but at the yeah. time they didn't really see a future, uh, for, you know, that themselves, like their career, uh, and also, um, you know, for me, like growing up um, in Shenzhen, uh, it, it was you know like a, like a different time in China, right? Totally. Uh, you know, I'm I'm sure like listeners who are also Chinese immigrants around that time have had similar experiences. Um, so they looked to Canada as a place of uh, you know opportunity, right? Like there's already Chinese people here. Um, yeah. I'm sort of like the last move, right? Like in the uh, from the the Hong Kong, right? The Hong Kong migration. Yeah um and so we moved we moved we moved over in uh 03 and okay. uh, it was yeah it was like quite a culture shock i actually i even remember like before we moved i was throwing so many tantrums i was like i'm not gonna make any friends i'm not gonna know the language whatsoever um but when we finally did it like i was like oh my gosh like school here is super easy um you know the teachers don't like beat you <laughs> Um, and so I was like, wow, the kids have it so good here. You know, there's like so much more freedom. Um, there's a lot more play as well, which I, yeah, honestly, yeah. I think the, yeah, I think being able to play as a child and like explore, uh, creatively mm -hmm. is like super important. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I honestly think that that's the biggest difference and sort of why you see a lot of innovation, uh, coming out of like the Western society. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I came here to like a basement home uh, in like uh, Mississauga. Mm. So it was, it was my friend Toby. I still sort of keep in touch with him. It was Toby's family uh, who had like a posting on 51.ca. I don't know if you've, if anyone's heard of 51.ca. It's like the, the like Asian immigrant Reddit. So oh, wow. the entire forum where um yeah like chinese like, I, I it's just like chinese canadians go yeah, to yeah. like discuss stuff and they would it, would it be with uh, pseudonyms or using real names like oh no like, like real names yeah it's all oh, like real names okay okay yeah um so yeah maybe i'm like exposing some super og uh <laughs> <laughs> resource but yeah like on 51.ca we found this like family who was renting out their basement mm -hmm. uh, so my mom and i came first uh, my dad stayed behind to you know do more work and like you know make us some money um and then he eventually came over as well um but yeah i mean adjusting to canada was actually super easy like I, I, like oh, english yeah. is actually really easy to learn like in my oh, opinion how, how old kid. were you at the time when you uh, uh yeah i was eight you're right okay yeah and uh i guess like being surrounded um by english made it super easy um oh, I, yeah. I remember i was in the esl but it was actually really uh, comforting because in my entire class, like most people were also Asian. So mm. coming to Toronto, I was like, oh, like I didn't know, yeah. you know, there were like other <laughs> other folks. <laughs> right, just like me. Yeah, just I like mean, me. Where, where in Mississauga um, did you end up? Oh, okay. Well, maybe I'm looking, um, I think it, it was actually in Scarborough, actually. I, I messed oh, up. Oh, Scarborough, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I totally forgot. I totally forgot. Um, so you got transplanted, you quickly adjusted. Um, and then what, what were your interests as a kid, right? When you're 
you know once i once you come to um once you come to canada you have like so much freedom you have like your own computer <laughs> internet access um and i mean the thing is like my my mom worked a lot and so mm. i was most most of the time i was home alone um and the only thing you could sort of occupy with yourself with was with a uh, um was like you know online games right like mo fun zone or like runescape yeah. Yeah. Um, those sorts of things um so i was a big gamer as a kid just to just to fill the time um was your mom still working in nursing and healthcare when she no uh, so actually so when my parents moved over they totally changed their careers oh wow like, uh, i mean yeah i mean that's the sort of story right um and super grateful for their sacrifice obviously um yeah, yeah my mom was a nurse came here to work i think like initially you actually can't it was, it's actually like really hard to find a job you don't know english right Mm -hmm. um so she had to go find like um so these like cash only like labor work yep, with other yep. Chinese people who are like doing yep. um i think there's like clothing factories or something and she mm. like threads or something yeah um, but a lot of that kind of work uh but eventually you know she did the whole like you know learn english and now she's like a psw so like personal yeah, support yeah yeah and yeah my dad uh like he works at like a car factory plant or something. Mm -hmm. I actually went there as like a um, bring your kids to work day. <laughs> it was it was really interesting. Um, lots of manual labor. So I I, I definitely owe them a lot for. Uh, wow! Yeah, I mean that is we're standing on our parents and our parents' parents' shoulders, right? And I feel like as first second generation Canadians, like you really appreciate that as you get older and realize like wow. When my, you know, my mom and dad immigrated from Singapore to Canada in the mid seventies, and I'm like, they were 25 years old, and they just decided to pick up and move halfway around the world. They didn't know anybody would figure out jobs, and I Honestly, wonder if I would do the same, right? I'm like, well, that takes a lot of gumption. So, and, and, and at the end of the day, it's entrepreneurship, right? Like you're taking yep. this yep. big risk, um, you know, with some expected upside and like a giant downside. <laughs> Uh, yeah. if it doesn't work out um so yeah honestly like uh, i i respect them a lot uh for making that sacrifice i don't know if i could do the same honestly um but yeah i i love them so much you know so yeah and then kind of looking at your parents what's one or two lessons or characteristics you you kind of take out from both your mom and dad uh very simple hard work <laughs> mm -hmm. um if there's anything you can learn from you know uh immigrant parents is just like how hard they they work to uh you know gather the resources to even be here and then once they're here they're like you know fighting for their lives trying to learn this new language trying to you know adapt to this new environment um yeah and you know have to like outperform their peers right um so i i think yeah like just watching how hard they work and something i've realized throughout the years is that like uh learning you know there's all this discussion about uh, you know love languages right like people mm -hmm. uh especially in the west there's you know different like, quality of time or like acts of service but i actually think um you know for immigrants the love language is actually in work like how hard you're willing to work mm -hmm. for the sake of someone else right like yeah and, and not just like and it's similar to acts of service but like literally like your career and how serious you take it is in um you know how much you love your family or like your partner and how much you're willing to work with yeah. them um and so that i guess you know whether i like it or not that's sort of the 
thing I picked up from them is like th- this is how I express yeah. uh, my love for somebody. It's like how hard I'm yeah. working. <laughs> that's a no. That's a great way to contextualize that too, right? Especially for parents who have immigrated here, right? Not knowing the language, having to do uh, more sometimes physically demanding work. Right? My in-laws. They had a convenience store for 30 years, right? They took mm-hmm. a couple of days off a year, um, but they hustled, they grinded, right? Well, we look at today, people are complaining about going back to the office. <laughs> we, yeah, yeah. We, we had a good, we had a really good stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then kind of as you um, got into the high school phase, where was your headed in terms of what you were interested in? And did you already have a faint idea of what you wanted to do in university and even after? I quite honestly had no idea. Um, yeah. I feel like for the first, uh, you know, for the first 10 grades in school, like I was just a big gamer. Yeah. Um, and honestly, thinking back on it, you know, it makes sense. Like I, you know, my, my parents were, you know, working these manual jobs. Um, and so I didn't really have like, uh, like that sort of mentorship for how to, operate in this society right like it's not like my yeah. dad can give me advice on you know what my career path should be right yeah. you know, he, yeah. he's come from a totally different society um and also i mean a, a sort of sad thing that maybe some people can relate to is like uh at some point there, there is like a language barrier developed um mm-hmm. between, you know your, you and your parents right if you don't actually actively study chinese or practice chinese um you know, my my language skills are basically frozen from when I moved over. So it's like I, I can mm-hmm. sort of speak and understand things at the sophistication of an eight year old. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's hard to, I guess, like express more sophisticated ideas or like talk about your career if that's the vocabulary you have. Yeah. Um, so developing that language bar- barrier was actually like, uh, I mean, I, I, I'm sure a lot of you can relate to this, just like. You know, it's it's harder to, you know, have that closer relationship with your parents if you can't communicate with them, like mm-hmm. like in English. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, I had no idea what I was gonna do. It's actually, uh, you know, thank God I had friends. <laughs> um, and so having friends who could um sort of guide me and, actually, one of my friends, Valentine, who, uh, in high school, I was I was just picking random courses and I had one slot left and he was like hey like why don't you uh you're you're on the computer all the time anyways <laughs> why don't you try computer science um and so I was like okay like sure like what what I, I don't you know whatever like I'll, I'll, t- I'll take this course and then I took it and I really really loved it and it, it was oh, wow. exactly what I wanted and so be- because of that moment it led to me you know taking the course learning you know how to code Looking into mm-hmm. it as a career, and then you know, actually, uh, you know, studying really hard to try to try to, you know, wow. get into this is in high school. Sorry, this is in this is in high school. When, yeah, when so this was in high school. school. Yeah. Okay. What language were you uh, learning at the time? Yeah, my first language was uh, Java, and so this is yeah. in uh, Richmond Hill, so Richmond Hill High School. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I also was very fortunate to have like a really really good teacher there, uh, Mr. Rideout, who, yeah, I mean, he he's like. He wrote the Java textbook for like the entire uh, school district. Actually, oh, wow. I think every school uses it. Wow. Um, but yeah, he was a super, super like great mentor, great teacher. Um, 
So I, I, was, I was honestly just very fortunate to have like the right support network around me, like in, including my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. Um, yeah, like just very fortunate to have that. Wow. And I, I think right. that's, that's one of the like what we have to do, right? Like to you know, in lieu of having you know parents who can speak the language and can communicate the ideas and give you advice, it's like we're fighting to find the support elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, just put yourself out there, be open, and you also need that intuition and the right gut instinct to be like, I should do something about that, right? Because yes. I feel like a lot of times we have this one thing come in one ear and out the other, but it also takes that intuition to be like, I should do something, I should sign up for that course or, you know, take that next step. So, so high school was a, a critical point for you to open up your eyes to computer science and realizing you like it and that you might want to pursue it as a career. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, and honestly meeting like my, my girlfriend, Nicole there, mm -hmm. uh, was actually one of the reasons why I studied really hard because she was also a grinder. Oh and yeah. The only way to spend time with her was actually like being at the library. <laughs> so exactly. I would you first like, you know, build your relationship. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I would I would also go to the library to be with her, but then you know, okay, like okay, now I'm not at the library, like I should probably just study and stuff. <laughs> so I ended up just studying really hard to like be around my girlfriend. Um wow. which I'm also also like super thankful for, honestly. <laughs> Great. And growing up in Richmond Hill too, you know, for those growing up from the GTA, the Toronto area, it's quite diverse, right? Quite a uh, a big Asian diaspora. Did you find yourself feeling like a minority when you're in high school not at all yeah. I mean, okay maybe the opposite right? <laughs> especially not at rhhs i mean yeah. um like most of your classmates are you know from different places like not just right as a chinese but you have like korean uh yeah. iran um yeah. yeah like all over all over the place uh so i mean very fortunate and honestly like when talking to some of my colleagues from the states it's like a very different experience um, oh, usually, yeah. you know, my colleagues who are, you know, people of color, uh, they grew up in, in, with an experience where like, they're the only person of color. Um, yeah. and that's something I cannot, yeah, I just, I can't imagine, right? Like in, in the GTA, like growing up in the GTA, that's like totally different. Like you're surrounded yeah. by immigrants. <laughs> right. So you felt like you belong, right? There was in a, uh, identity crisis where you're like, okay, who am I? Am I Canadian? Am I Chinese? Like, uh, I feel like in. Toronto, at least you could happily coexist being a Chinese Canadian immigrant in Mississauga, Richmond Hill, Scarborough, and there'd be enough of your people to feel like you had a, a group yeah, of people. I, I mean, at least in school, I, I definitely didn't feel like race was ever an issue. I mean, I, there's all, right. you know, there's like the common stuff, which is like, oh, like, um, like class, you know, like the class was like yeah. a definite uh, thing that's pretty common. Um, but yeah, like I, I felt like, you know, I never felt like, oh, I'm Chinese. So yeah, like I'm different, you know, it's just like, yeah, yeah. yeah like, you know, you, everyone knows how it is. It's just like, yeah, you're like, um, you're, you're just with your, with your friends. Yeah. Okay. Favorite place to hang out in Richmond Hill when you were in high school? Did you have like, uh, go oh, for yeah, um, like a, a, yeah, Silver out, City, a late night. Silver City. That's, oh, the, City yeah. uh, that's <laughs> the movie theater on uh, highway seven. And it's, it's yeah. where, it's where everyone went, everyone went there. <laughs> With their sports cars and souped-up Honda Civics, and exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, so you know, at the tail end of high school, did you already kind of decide that you definitely?
definitely wanted to study computer science in undergrad or were there other options you were considering? There were no, like there were no other options. Um, okay. I, I, I'm, I'm telling you, like when I, when I did comp sci in high school, I was obsessed. Like I would stay up oh, till wow. 2 a.m. like changing the tiniest details on my stupid chess game. Um, oh, yeah. it, it, it's like, it was, I was so sucked into like how much customization, how much creativity you could express. Mm. Uh, I, I, I knew this is what I want to do. Like oh, wow. whatever I do in the future, I need to be programming. Yeah. Um, so I, I was, I was like all in, uh, in grade 12. <laughs> Did you ever have a sense? a similar sense of like quote unquote flow with other work or activities when you were younger? I mean, it maybe yeah. it's a video game, right? But Le yeah, like, League of Legends. Well, I was a oh, big yeah. League of Legends yeah. player. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I owe it, I owe sort of my work ethic, honestly, a bit from that experience. Like I, I played yeah. a lot of League, um, like grade eight to, you know, 11 or 12. Um, and in doing so, I actually, I was actually like pretty competitive. Like I got to, you know, top 200 and like oh, wow. North America. Um, yeah. But through that, you know, it wasn't just me doing that alone. It was like me sort of plugging into the community, learning about different, you know, meta strats and, and you know, different tricks and all that. And actually like having, you know, meeting people and like discussing strategy and stuff. Mm -hmm. you know, and, and actually like playing a ton of league and getting really good at it. I learned my learning style. Right, like it was Wait. just grinding really hard and like finding other people to discuss ideas with. That's how I learned best, yeah. and mm. I took that sort of paradigm and applied it to something like CS. Uh, so yeah, I, like I'm, I'm super thankful for that experience. I mean, it was really fun and also like a like a self learning experience. Yeah, and throughout this time, even you know during the gaming and um, this new obsession of coding and going into computer science. What what were your parents' reactions, support, or um, advice, if anything, while you're going through that journey? Uh, honestly, they were pretty hands off, uh, okay. for better or for worse, right? Yeah. Like I, I think on on one hand, they didn't want to. I mean, they were like insightful or like wise enough to know that you know what whatever they experienced in China and how they grew up may not necessarily apply to me, so they didn't want to like impose, yeah. you know potentially irrelevant advice um so yeah i was i had like free reign and maybe like too much freedom you know i, I gained a little too much i think um but in in doing so I, I guess like i felt the agency to you know take big bets like oh i want to go all in on comps okay yeah. but it was you never it's, so your parents didn't kind of fit this stereotypical like asian tiger no I, I would not or... say i had like yeah. the stereotypical tiger parents um yeah. And I actually think about that a lot. Like, why did why didn't they do that? And I think maybe it's it's part of the maybe maybe it's because um, they also had relatively different upbringings. Like, they didn't grow up in the city. Um, they were both from villages, and so for them yeah. to even you know get get a nursing job or get like an engineering job was already a big deal for them. Yeah. Um, and so they yeah they never like yeah I mean they never beat me like that that's the that's like the crazy thing that maybe people don't want to talk about. It's like it's actually very common for immigrant parents to like physically discipline mm -hmm. um, their children and they actually they never did that for me which is like a weird thing apparently did um, you get in much trouble when you were growing up well i also didn't get much, i also didn't get in much trouble but you didn't get in much trouble yeah i did not okay, I did you not. were gaming um, 
they knew where to find you, right? Which is maybe your bedroom <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. So then you decide to do comp sci. Uh, you do it at U of T. What was it like kind of transitioning from high school to university? Was it a pretty seamless transition or did you find it a big jump? Um, yeah, I mean, there, there were definitely like a different scale of agency, I guess. Like you're yeah. way more um, fending for yourself. Uh, I felt well prepared though, like like truly, like the the high the high school that I went to is like yeah. one of the best. And I, I you know the first and first and second year course material, like we already did that. Like it, you know, we already learned about uh, you know very simple AI algorithms and all that. So okay. the technical stuff I was already very comfortable with. Um, but yeah, like stuff like math, right? Like math in university was way different, way more difficult, uh, learning how to do proofs. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that stuff really, yeah, that, that was challenging. Um, but what I really liked about university was the hackathons. So mm -hmm. I learned about hackathons sort of my first month. And so the first one I went to was hack the North. Um, and I, I feel like that was another sort of pivotal moment for me. Um, you know, because before going to my first hackathon, I thought, okay, it's going to be the same deal. I'll, you know, same deal as like grade 12. I'll go, I'll study really hard, get high marks, and try to get into Google or something like that. Um, but after going to my first hackathon and, you know, feeling the energy of like, mm -hmm. holy shit, you know, this high schooler is like building this crazy mobile app. Uh, or like, you know, these, you know, first year, second year folks are, um, you know, building Pokemon Go, like Pokemon Go in like 2014. Yeah. Um, and and actually being exposed to that and, and seeing what's possible, uh, you know, without a ton of schooling, mm -hmm. it, it sort of planted a seed in my head, like, oh, like, I really like building things. And mm -hmm. these people were building things. And so I kept going to, I, I, was, I was going to hackathons my first year, basically every weekend. Wow. Um, yeah, it was a ton of fun, and and especially in university, it, it's it's well organized, right? Like mm -hmm. they send they send buses to pick you up. So, you know, I we I, I went to one in, in um, Pennsylvania, like uh, UPenn was doing a hackathon, and they arranged a bus to you know pick pick U of T school uh, U of T kids up uh, to send them there. Um, but that the whole yeah, my first year was like so so defining for me, like being mm -hmm. a part of all these builder communities and actually going to hackathons, building stuff. Um. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that, and it's 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 like defined how I work, I guess. And and uh, yeah. Wow. And then two years into university, you come across a company, Renomics. Yes. And then uh, yeah, what was Renomics. your decision? What was it, what was your decision point at at the time? Was it hey, I'm going to do this for a couple months and see where it goes, or uh, did you have high confidence that you wanted to pursue Kind of working full time as opposed to schooling. Yeah, so it, it's important for me to have brought up hackathons because you know yeah. that seed in my head of like, oh, like, damn, building things is really fun. Like every weekend, yeah. I'm learning so much. Um, and then I did my first internship actually at um, this company. I don't, I, I don't know, I'm not sure if they're still around, but uh, Hubnest. It's mm -hmm. like an agency, you know, so super tough working hours and like, you know, hot like hard deadlines. But um, I got to build a lot, right? Like there was high pressure to actually deliver and like build. And I, was, I was writing like vanilla JavaScript 
Uh, we were not allowed to use any frameworks whatsoever because the, the lead developer really cared about for performance and compatibility. Uh, at, at the time, there were other browsers. <laughs> it wasn't just Google Chrome you had to build for. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so you know, we, we really just used like, native JavaScript. Uh, but from that first internship and all the hackathons I did, I've realized that, okay, like I am, like I learn best building things. You know, I have to have my hands to tinker. Uh, and so it, it was so obvious that, you know, if, if there was an opportunity to actually go work somewhere, like I would learn more there than if I continued school. Mm -hmm. I'm not much of like, uh, you know, sit in a lecture and, and absorb, you know, a ton of yeah. information. Uh, so my, my friend Kathy actually, who started Ronomics, um, mm -hmm. She actually started an under. She also was the same year as me. Uh, we sort of knew each other from like the CS community, and so when she was just starting Renomics, I actually just did some contract work for them. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed you know, learning about genomics, learning about the science behind some of these things, and then building software to help scientists do their work better. I think that's super fulfilling. Um, and so when she raised her seed round uh and asked me to come on board i was like okay like yeah, I, i'd love to um I, I i love to you know do this with you guys um uh, and honestly it, it's not that much risk right like if you if you really think about um the decisions i had in front of me it was mm -hmm. like okay i could continue school or i could join my friend's startup have a ton of fun like learn a learn a lot um and even like the financial stuff aside it's like you know i'll i'll, I'll, yeah. I'll learn a lot right yeah um, and the the upsides are like you know potentially a lot as well um and the downside is that okay if it doesn't work out i'll go back to school mm -hmm. so i was thinking okay so if i actually stay in school i'm like choosing the worst case scenario i'm like guaranteeing, right. i'm guaranteeing the like lower bound yeah yeah um, it was a it was a very logical decision a way to think about it if if i'm gonna learn more and like make more money there like i'll i'll go there it was a no-brainer it was a no-brainer did, did you technically go on like a leave of absence or can you just like uh yeah i mean I, i've actually talked to other dropouts about this like how did they like mechanically yeah. drop exactly. out um and i think they, they all did what i did was just like stop paying tuition <laughs> if you stop paying tuition like your next year just like gets canceled so some some information for those of you listening considering like, mm, very okay, easy good asian uh, uh I, I haven't had the path and then i mean did you do you tell inform consult your parents at all i'm curious like you know you're obviously uh yeah I talked to them about it. Um, yeah. yeah so i mean i i went to the guidance uh at u of t um and i asked them sort of like i explained to the situation i was like hey i'm thinking about dropping out like what are some things i could think about and they actually said I can come back. I, okay, I don't know if it's changed now. Obviously, don't cite me. But uh, they, they actually said, oh, you can come back within seven years and, and just pick oh. up where you left off. Um, and that really comforted my parents, obviously. Uh, and yeah, I mean, if you're making money, if you're having fun, like, what's not to love, right? Like, for, yeah. for your child. Uh, yeah. So parents were like, okay, so, like, kind of sounds good. You know, they weren't expressing any um they were totally cool with it my dad was oh, all gung ho oh, wow. uh, my mom you know still still asking me whether i should uh <laughs> continue my school even to this day uh but you know they're both like supportive my mom's just yeah like, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
Yeah, I mean, and it's great. I mean, to your point, I think both wisdom of your parents and also it's a progressive way to think, right? Coming from uh, overseas and uh, making a lot of sacrifices, I feel like the default instinct is protect and minimize risk. However you define risk, but there's obviously a conventional way to define that. So kudos to your parents for really giving you a lot of space and leeway to, you know, make your own decisions and have faith they would work out. So. Yeah, honestly, they're, yeah, they're, they're really sick. Um, yeah. <laughs> so how long were you at Renomics? And can you share a little bit more about the, the path and the experience you had in between that and eventually starting code here? Yeah, so when I was at Renomics, I was the only developer. And so I was learning a lot initially, um, teaching myself, you know, how to do X, how to do Y, and also not, not just like the software engineering stuff, but also the science stuff. Um, and so that was fun for a bit, but eventually I, I feel like I was plateauing in terms of um, my growth and sort of my you know, learning because I, I wasn't working with anyone else. Okay. Um, so I really, uh, I was looking for mentorship. I was looking for you know, a place I could be to work with more senior engineers and learn from them and, and learn how to build scalable systems. Uh, so I was looking around and uh, I found one of the OG like go developer shops in toronto called presley mm. uh, i joined them in 2017 while they were getting acquired um and that i felt like most of my software engineering skills i still you know apply to this day it comes from working with that team uh yeah they're like super just super cracked engineers honestly uh and then yeah. sort, sort of in that like i guess like discovery process of me trying to learn more stuff uh aiden had posted uh, I, I didn't know aiden at the time so there's some random guy posted on the uftcs slack like hey does anyone want to publish a paper this summer um and i thought it'd be super funny to publish as a dropout uh, also in the process i also like learn you know deep learning and all that but yeah the, the side quest being the funny bit the main quest is like you know okay like i'll, I'll learn stuff and it's something new. yeah yeah um, and so I started working with Aiden around that time. Uh, we published a couple of papers with uh, some early folks at 4AI. Uh, okay. So that's, that's a group we started together to do research. Um, so that, that was, was, was he still in school at the time or was he working? Yeah, so he was also still in school. Um, so oh, okay. he, he actually okay. skipped a grade. We're the same age, but he skipped a grade. Yeah. So he was only senior. Yeah. Um, and I think this was pre-Transformers. So he, he wasn't like yeah. that well-known at the I, Okay, I'm not going to say that. But <laughs> uh, this is pre-transformer, so I didn't know who he was. Uh, but yeah, we met up, and it, it, things just hit it off like almost right away. Like we 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 matched each other's work ethic, which is like something I've never experienced before. Uh, I didn't know anyone else in sort of my network who was so obsessed about work as I do, because um, you know he had his day job at Google Brain, and we would meet up after my day job. Uh, and worked until like 1 a.m., 2 a.m. So we were grinding oh. at the, Toronto, the the Google Brain Toronto office until like 2 a.m. Uh, just on this side research thing. We were getting no money, by the way. This is just like a completely labor of like curiosity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like trying to publish papers. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it, I was super lucky to have met Aiden. Yeah. And did you get a good good share of uh, Google Snacks and? I did. I, you know what? I felt bad for the team on that floor because 
every night clear out the corn chips like all the all the like uh the rice chips or whatever oh yeah (laughs) Yeah. and i I mean i I read one day jeffrey anthony comes up and says where is your security badge did did that happen (laughs) that actually did happen yeah um i was uh well we were we were like grinding pretty hard towards this conference deadline so you know with conferences there's a deadline to submit your paper um so i was working pretty hard and i decided to work the day at uh the brain office yeah and uh yeah i was sitting in the jeff's team's office i was sitting on one of the desks i think jimmy ba was also there which is like pretty funny um and he he came up to to me and was like hey like where's your security badge and the funny thing is i was on the paper with him i was working on his paper <laughs> it was oh, with jeffrey hinton yeah, yeah. So one of the papers oh. uh, we ended up publishing was with Jeff, and he he gave us some like really honestly like solid ideas. Um, yeah. So that that happened. <laughs> wow. And then, what prompted you and Aiden to say, "Hey, let's start our own thing," right? Because at the time, Aiden's already at Google Brain. He has a pretty secure kind of path if he wants to stay at a big company. And you're doing work that you love and you're really energized by that what was kind of the tipping point of making that decision to venture out right so after presley i uh worked at a few other i worked at cortex which is um this ai ml infrastructure startup um but working with those founders uh david and omer um i i got to get closer to see how the sausage is made and and Mm -hmm. you know what it what it's like to found a company and build early culture and seeing that I felt quite comfortable. I was like, Oh, like if they could do it, why couldn't I? Um, And so I pitched it to Aiden. I was like, Hey, like, why don't we try starting something together? Uh, You know, we obviously work really well together. Um, But I didn't, I didn't ask it like that. I was like, Hey, like I want to start a startup. Like, uh, what do you think? Right. Uh, And then he asked me, okay, like just send ideas every day. Just like, one idea every time. Um, so one of the first things we tried to do together, we didn't, you know, we didn't like quit our jobs or anything yet, but just sort of exploring was uh, turning our targeted dropout paper into a company. So mm. a service where we compress neural nets, uh, you know, make them 99% smaller at the same quality. Uh, we were super early. I mean, 2018, pretty much nobody cared about, you know, running neural nets efficiently. <laughs> Um, so it's hard to find clientele for that. So we stopped doing that, but we kept, you know, thinking about ideas and, you know, for him, he, he's, he started seeing transformers getting adopted and across like all these teams at Google. Uh, so, and, and the frustrating thing is Google, he knew Google would do nothing with it, right? Because it, it's, it's a search company at, at the time. Okay. He, they're doing something with it now. Uh, but at the time, they, there was no appetite to provide this technology to developers to change how software was built. Um, and we thought, okay, like, why don't we do that? You know, it's we, we saw the pieces lying there to build yeah. a world where we can actually communicate with computers quite fluidly, make computers mm-hmm. more accessible, right? You, you only need to know how to communicate. You don't need to learn some new graphical interface or yeah. learn programming to, to start using it. Um, so we thought it was a big, op- we were already looking to do something together. This was like a pretty cool opportunity. Uh, I thought it was a really fun engineering challenge, right. To 
build this large network and train it and all that. Uh, and then we got we got Nick into it as well. Uh, so Nick at the time also lived in the same condo building as me. So we just we literally went oh, upstairs, wow. um, sat on his couch, just like pitched them the idea, and he's like, Where, "Is this close to the St. George campus downtown, or like where?" where uh, so I was living uh, at um, like Bay and Adelaide area. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, we were both like in the same building coincidentally. <laughs> and, I, I, uh, I I read his snakes and lattes story as well. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we were all. The weird thing is that we were all irrationally drawn to Toronto. I would say, like, mm-hmm. you know, and all of us could have gotten jobs in the valley or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we just love Toronto as a city. It, mm. It's like multicultural. It's really fun to be here. Um, and we're you know we, we're like weirdly Canadian. Like we we just. We're just so frustrated of all our peers like going to the valley, and so we we really wanted to build coherent Toronto um, and be sort of like this beacon to keep our talent here, like something really ambitious, great business um, to to compete with all the you know valley firms, yeah, but some offices or you know taking people away. Yeah. So at the time when you guys decided to found Cohere. Was were you just starting to build the prototype, or were there already potential customers that you had sought feedback from? Earlier? Uh, there were zero customers in 2019 yeah. with generative AI. Okay, just <laughs> I just want to be clear for the record. Yeah, for the record, like nobody cared you about this. First. <laughs> um, it was at at the time. It was honestly just really cool technology, and we were starting yeah. to see some. Uh, some early adoption, right? Like people building autocompletes or like mm-hmm. uh, like copywriting type apps. Um, so that that was cool. Um, but for a very long time, it was just heads down, building the technology, improving the product. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we always knew the long-term vision of like, okay, computers need to talk, computers need to understand language. Uh, but it was, it was totally, you know, we didn't know it would go this way, uh, wow. this fast, honestly. And even getting the initial seed funding from Radical and uh, a few others, how much of the idea had been baked out, fully baked, versus um, really just a few ideas that, and the hypotheses that you guys wanted to test? So the product always changed. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we've had a few product pivots, but the yeah. underlying technology of taking the transformer, scaling it up. On you know many many GPUs, um, and training on a lot of data, high quality data, to do really good language understanding, do really good language generation. It's the same that that that's yeah. been since day one. And honestly, kudos to Radical who really believed in the vision. Like they they truly mm-hmm. believed in us. Uh, helped us incorporate. They you know they they quite honestly wrote the check before we even incorporated. Oh. Uh, they they had faith in us, right? And yeah, yeah kudos to them. They they've been great founding partners. Um, yeah, that's great. And I guess um, right now your formal role is CTO, in addition to maybe chief meme officer. Uh, can you share a little bit more about what your focus is on and what teams uh, roll under you? Yeah. So I personally don't 
uh, love managing. So we've hired a SCP of engine, uh, SCP of Eng, uh, Saurab, who, you know, the entire engineering org rolls up under, um, I'm more in love with sort of the technology and implementation side. So yeah. I, I'd spend maybe like 50% of my time doing recruiting sales. Uh, and then the other 50 doing more exploratory ideas or jumping onto, you know, implementation of features if needed. Uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm doing less of the implementation for sure. Because, uh, you know, if you if you ever worked at a startup, having to work with a founder is like totally unreliable. Like you cannot depend on them. You know, they're dragged into all these different random things. And so I'm glad my team doesn't have to suffer that anymore. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm happy Aiden and I are still like very technical and, and still running experiments. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So that, that's been really fun. So as, as part of the recruiting, and obviously, you know, Cohere is hiring a lot and can check out their website for any listeners interested. How do you kind of find and figure out if somebody has that hustling grind that initially brought you and Aiden together, right? That passion for the work to sustain through what might be some rough times or long hours? Do you have good questions or ways to assess that out? Yeah, so I think um, it's definitely more of an art than a science. Right, mm -hmm. like there's no, you know, automated quantitative way to really suss that out. Um, I yeah. try to I try to ask really like even thoughtful questions on the mm -hmm. written form. Um, so I still read every application, uh, and the questions I ask are like, you know, tell me about the coolest thing you've built, and mm -hmm. I, I try to read, and and really see if they're really passionate about what they're talking about, and uh, yeah, I, I, and also that makes it fun to read. So I'm actually like more on top of um the applications yeah uh, but yeah i mean I, i'd say there's there's really no silver bullet to you know recruiting good it's, right. it's really just uh you try to get as much data as possible while you're interviewing them and sometimes you have to make a hard decision to you know let them go if they don't match your expectations right so yeah yeah cool and then in terms of customer feedback what industries or verticals is cohere getting the most interest and uh traction um, pretty much every industry, uh, pretty really? much. Wow. I think, uh, I think right now, like the ones we want to work with are mm. you know, more software native, not, not even AI native, like yeah. software native companies like Oracle. Yeah. Um, but pretty much it, it feels like everyone wants it right now. And I, I don't know how long that'll last, obviously. Like, I feel like everyone's, you know, a bit frothy, uh, yeah. with this technology. Um, but the, the use case makes sense, right? You know, everyone wants their knowledge workers to be more productive. And that's the yeah. that's the lowest, like lowest lift use case you can get out of this tech. Like using one of these agents to assist your employees to make them more productive. Yeah. Um, and every industry cares about it because you know what they're thinking is, oh shit, what if my competitors were 30% more more productive? Right. What am yeah. I gonna do? Right. Um, and so their fear is this like boogeyman competitor who's gonna you know outcompete them because they're using AI tools. Um, so yeah, that's why <laughs> I guess that's why everyone wants this stuff. Wow. So like we said at the beginning, no lack of uh, demand, right? It's uh, <laughs> supply scale capacity limitation, if anything. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, got it. Um, and then we'll wrap up really shortly, but I wanted to ask, what do you feel like a have been the common themes in your career, right? In for you making some of those critical decisions that that you mentioned, um, 
would you just sell that to one or two principals or things that have been helpful for you to decide whether or not to make that leap? Yeah, I always bias towards more learning. So I think any any move where um, I felt like I was going to improve in some way, either on my technical skills or my leadership skills, uh, I'd love to take that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that I felt like has served me well. So, you know, when I dropped out of school, I felt like I would learn more doing that. Uh, when I was starting Cohere, I thought I felt like I would learn more, you know, starting a company. Yeah. Um, so I, I always loved learning. So I think biasing towards learning served me well. Uh, and working really hard. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. That's like the most general advice I can give. Yeah. Uh, but you, you can never go wrong just working really hard. Mm-hmm. But do you feel like you, when you're working, it's almost this flow state, right? You, you're interested, you're challenged, but it's at this nexus of enjoyment, but obviously you're putting in the time and the effort as well. Yeah, exactly. Like If you understand yeah. the purpose of why you're working hard, like obviously it's more fun. Right, right. Uh, the purpose for me, you know, it's always learning. Like, just, I, I just love learning how to do things better, learning to become the best. Um, yeah. Cool. And do you do you do anything for fun? Like, do you have any side hobbies? Do you have time to play video games anymore? Or, like, oh, what do yeah. you do? I actually get in some Diablo Four uh, <laughs> at the time, right? I think you know, it, it's like fun, but it's not like not, it's not like that fun. So you could actually put it down after thirty minutes. Yeah, um, I try to play league still, uh, and I rock climb. Uh, I hang out with my wife. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. And favorite um, Chinese restaurant or bubble tea shop in Toronto? Any oh, Jesus? Anyone you want to give a bump to? Okay, so <laughs> I mean, there's a couple. There's a couple for sure. I like. I really like juicy dumplings. As like a yeah. quick, quick thing. I really like. Mix two as like a hop off place. Yeah. But you go there a lot. So if, if you go to Mix Two, you'll probably see like Cohere employees. <laughs> it's uh, the unofficial uh, uh, after work meetup, yeah. probably. <laughs> uh, and I, I live on the east side. So actually, I, I, I go to the east east Chinatown a lot. So oh, by Gerard. Yeah. Like Walk and Roast yeah. is like a really good yeah. Chinese barbecue place. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, there, there's too many to name, honestly. But. There's a lot, right? Well, I mean, that's why it's great to keep the company in Toronto, right? It's great to <laughs> yeah. Oh, Daniel Oh, Danko? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love that place, too. And I mean, now that you guys are scaling and obviously getting a lot more global attention, do you find it easier to keep the, the company largely based in Toronto? I, I know with recruiting, there are some U.S.-based roles, but it seems like you still want the heartbeat to be in Toronto, is that right? Yes, the Cohere yeah. side plus is keeping yeah. Canada's talent in Canada. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we feel like it's super important to be headquartered here. We feel like, I mean, we love being here as well. Like, uh, like all three of us still live in Toronto. Yeah. Um, so that's not that's not going to change anytime soon. Uh, yeah. we, we want Canada to, you know, be like a global, global uh, hub. For, for talent and, and right right and yeah the immigration minister made that big announcement at collision right on tuesday around making it easier for digital nomads and h1b visa holders to work in canada so uh yeah it's, it's just beginning right yeah we want more of that 
please give us more of that. <laughs> cool. Thanks so much, Ivan. This is awesome. I, I'm really happy we were able to talk about your origin story. Um, where's the best place for people to find you on the internet uh, if they want to just keep in touch with your latest thinking? Yeah, so my Twitter is probably the, you know, the obvious place, just one uh, yeah. ZH. Um, yeah, I mean, I was super happy to do this too. Hopefully it's it's a listenable experience. <laughs> oh, for sure. You, you're paving the way for more Asian Canadian dropouts uh, from <laughs> university. So get ready. Yes, please feel free to, <laughs> to point at me uh, if, you're, if your parents are, you know, pushing back on dropping out. Dropping out <laughs> or playing more video games. Ivan did it and he turned out great. So. Honestly, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> great. Thanks, Ivan. I'll make sure we uh, we catch up in person at the Google office next time so we can get you more snacks. So we'll cool. make awesome. sure we have the right food. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is fun. Thanks, Ivan. Appreciate it. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Asian Tech Leaders. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your family and friends. Leave me a review on iTunes or drop me a note on our website, asiantechleaders.com. I really appreciate having each of you as a listener and sharing your valuable time with me. Be well, stay healthy, and follow your heart. See you soon.